Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Monday broadcast. And I tell you what, Monday's a tough day to get going, especially since we just celebrated the resurrection of Christ. And hey, by the way, if you went to church yesterday uh, or over the Easter weekend, uh, why don't you try to go to church again this coming weekend? Don't make uh, going to church an annual event. Make it a weekly event. Worshiping the Lord every week. You're always welcome at Hickory Ridge Community Church. We have a service at 9 o'clock and at 10.30. We have things for your kids. We have a whole lot happening with our kids. And then on Wednesday night, we have the Iwana Ministry, which I love the Iwana Ministry. And uh, we probably have 60, 70 kids that are there for the Iwana Ministry. And we always have a good time seeing our kids grow in the Word of God. And listen, teach them while they're young and when they're old and not depart from it. Well, uh, let me give you a really bad dad joke, okay? A really bad dad joke. Now, listen, dad jokes are not designed to be funny. They're the kind of things that make you go, oh, man, that's not so funny. But it gets you in the right spirit so that you can hear the message. I think that along with worship and prayer and reading God's word gets your heart ready for the message, okay? And so I came home one night and I said to my kids, hey, tonight we're having Himalaya rabbit stew for dinner. And they said, what? What is Himalaya rabbit stew? I said, well, I find him uh, laying on the side of the road. And I'm just kidding. That's a really bad dad joke. But anyway, maybe the biggest problem facing me is my bad dad jokes. But really, when I think about humility, the biggest problem we have as humans that causes all the problems that we face narrows down to two things. One is sin that leads to death. And Paul talked about that. He said in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, therefore... Just as sin entered into the world through one man, uh, that one man was Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. When God created the world, there was no death, there was no disease, there was no decay on this planet, but everything was in harmony. Everything was unified. But then sin entered the picture, and as a result of sin, everything went chaotic. Pride came in. Uh, That's what caused Lucifer to fall from heaven. As pride came in, humility went out. As pride came in, unity went out. Listen, if you can understand the concept of being a humble person, you will understand the concept of being a person who is unified. You know, this is the battle that we're going to be talking about today. Humility, the battle for humility. And uh, I have a, a picture here on my screen. And uh, it's of two guys that are working at a desk, and uh, their backs are toward each other. And, and one man's kind of a large man. The other man's kind of a, a, a thin man. And uh, the large man is pushing this skinny guy over. And so the little guy is like pinned right against his desk. And underneath it says, here's the definition of humility. Everyone has his place in the world, and yours is constantly getting smaller. Well, listen, in the Peanuts cartoon, Linus tells Charlie Brown, when I get big, I'm going to be a humble little country doctor. I live in the city, you see, and, and every morning I get up and I climb into my sports car and I'll zoom out into the country. Then I'll start healing people. I'll heal people for miles around. And the last Ramey exclaims, I'll be the world famous humble little country doctor. <laughs> well, old Charles Schultz, that cartoonist, was poking fun at how difficult it is for us to be humble. Now, we may start out with a great goal of being humble. We may want to be a humble or whatever, right? But before we know it, uh, we're into being world famous, humble, little whatever. And, you know, humility is uh, one of those things that we all have to constantly work on. It's not a one and done type thing. 
We have to constantly work on this matter of being humble. You know, I've discovered something about pride creeping into my life. I don't necessarily have to accomplish something really big to be full of myself. I can accomplish something little, and I can embellish it to make it sound like it's something big, and next thing I know, I'm filled with pride. Sometimes the uh, the most prideful people aren't those who accomplish a whole lot, but it's those who, who are in their own minds this legend, right? I'm a legend in my own mind. I'm a pretty good person. Well, you know, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave. Now, this is an act of humility. The most popular verse in the Bible is really a verse on humility. God so loved the world that he gave, gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, Jesus humbled himself. I was giving this sermon one day on humility many years ago, and at the end of the service, one of the ladies came to me and said, well, now, Pastor, I had a little problem with the sermon today. And, uh, and I figured, well, maybe she disagreed with one of the points that I was making. And, and she said, oh, no, 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 it, w- it wasn't a point that you made. She says, I disagreed with the whole premise of the message. You see, in her mind, we should even be talking about humility. Uh, because God doesn't expect us to be humble. Well, I'll tell you what she said in just a few minutes as we get into the message. But as, uh, as I think about this, what is humility? Humility is a character virtue where we're gentle and we're meek without arrogance in any part. Now, it's not just a concealment of pride. It's the elimination of pride. A humble person is not one who thinks lowly of themselves uh, or, or thinks badly of themselves. A humble person is one who doesn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about himself at all. He's got Jesus first, others second, and himself last. A humble person doesn't try to make an impression. A humble person is just a servant of the Lord, going out, doing what God's called them. They're meek, uh, without arrogance in any part. Now, as I think about this meekness, right? One of the bad things about our English language is that meekness rhymes with weakness, and we're thinking, well, that's what it is. Well, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is actually strength under control. Well, let's talk about what humility is, and and so I've got three things I'm going to cover over the next couple of days on this subject of humility, and we're going to start with what is humility, and, uh, and why should I want to be humble, and number three, how do I get it? So what is humility? Why should I want it? And how do I get it? We're going to cover this over the next couple of days. So I hope that you join me tomorrow for the broadcast as well, because we're not going to finish this up in one day. So number one, when it comes to humility, we got to remember that it starts with God. Doesn't start with me. It's not me beating myself up, right? But it starts with God. Now, this is what Proverbs 22, verse number four says. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Now, I got to tell you something that I'm almost ashamed to admit. But since we're talking about humility, I might as well go ahead and and humble myself. And uh, confession is good for the soul. You know, I think that I graduated from high school without reading an entire book all the way through. I read a little here, a little there. I read enough to pass a test, but I don't think I completed reading a book all throughout my life. And I graduated from high school and I enter into college without finishing a book. I got into college and I said, man, I I really am lacking because um, I didn't discipline myself and I I wasn't a good reader. I always struggled with reading. And and, uh, and so then the Lord calls me into ministry and, and somebody says, all leaders are readers. 
Now, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. And I said, I got a problem here. How can I be a pastor if I don't like to read? Well, I began praying. I said, Lord, would you give me a, a, a love for books? And, uh, you know, I couldn't find uh, books that I really loved to read until I, until I started reading the Bible. And uh, I started to read the Bible, and I got it in a translation uh, that I could understand. I was really struggling with the old King James Version, and I love the old King James Version. Don't take me wrong on this one. Uh, but I was really struggling with the, the structure of the sentences, and I said, nobody talks like 1611 King James Version anymore. And uh, so I found a more modern translation. And I started using the New International Version, and uh, that really helped me a whole lot studying God's Word. And then I began to even study works that were a little more difficult once I developed this, this love for reading by getting into God's Word. And the reason I got into God's Word, because that's where change takes place, right? I saw my life changing right before my eyes. As I got into the word, God's Word, it began to change me from the inside out. And so I started reading things beyond God's Word. And I got into reading, uh, one of my uh, Bible college professors says, you ought to read the, uh, the writers of the Puritans and the writers of, uh, of the 1700s and the 1800s. And, and, and so I did. I started reading them. And, and uh, he said, man, you ought to read people like John Bunyan and, and uh, uh, John Wesley and, and Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon. And so, so I started reading some of these books. And I got to admit, some of them were kind of hard at first, uh, but I developed this love for reading. And, and so I began reading a book by Jonathan Edwards called The Nature of True Virtue. Uh, somebody recommended this book to me, and I got to tell you something, I didn't finish reading the whole book, okay? Uh, I read most of it, and, uh, and as I go through this book, I saw a, a kind of a theme that goes right along with this subject of virtue. And it's, it's a section in there, Common Virtues versus True Virtue. And so this kind of piqued my interest and I said, well, a common virtue, and I'm kind of paraphrasing how he put it together. In common virtue, I'm restrained. And I'm restrained for the common good of everyone. For example, uh, we're just coming through this pandemic, and, and you know, we had these mask mandates, okay? And so what we did is, for the common good of everyone, right, we put a mask on. Uh, they mandated it in many cases that you, you couldn't go in certain places without a mask. And, uh, and so I would restrain myself by putting on a mask for the common good of everyone. Now, regardless of what you felt about it, uh, you kind of did it because you said, okay, it's for the common good of everyone. And, and I don't want to get those nasty stares from people if I'm not wearing my mask, okay? And so, okay, I put my mask on, and I'm going to go in the food line, and I'm going to go into Home Depot, I'm going to buy what I need to buy, and as soon as I get out of it, I'm taking that mask off, right? And so I restrained myself for the common good. So that's common virtue, right? That's why we don't steal. Uh, that's why we don't lie, hopefully, because uh, we don't want people lying to us. And so for the common good of everyone, we're going to restrain ourselves, even though we like to take something that doesn't belong to us, we say, I'm going to restrain myself. That's why I don't go punch somebody right in the face, right? Because I'm restraining myself for the common good. And, and hopefully that's why they don't punch me in the face too, right? Uh, so that's good. Common virtue is good. But true virtue is different than common virtue. Common virtue is something that we would expect everyone to live by. True virtue, however, is when I'm changed, not just restrained. I'm not just acting out of fear. I'm not just acting out of pride to be a good citizen, uh, that's all common virtue, but true virtue is when pride is dissolved at the root, all right? It's not just 
masked over. It's not covered up. It's actually dissolved. I think about moral reformation, for example. Uh, when I change morally, I follow the rules. But spiritual transformation, I'm not, and I'm just following the rules. I'm following the Savior. And so, as I think about this subject, going back to that uh, lady who, who had a little problem with the whole premise that we should be humble, uh, this poor lady, she was so upset. This is what she said. She says, God does not expect anyone to be humble. We should be proud of who we are and how we are made. Now, how would you have responded to this lady? Now, I got to admit, it kind of took me by surprise. And I tried to begin by explaining to her there's different kinds of pride, uh, this good pride and bad pride. I says, you know, I am so proud to be the dad of five amazing kids. You know, uh, I'm so proud to be married to my wife. Uh, I'm so proud of my church family. I love my church family and uh, so proud of what the Lord's done through our church. And so I think that's a, that's a good kind of pride, but it becomes a bad kind of pride when I think that I'm better than anybody else because I got five kids, or I'm better than anybody else because my wife is, is the most beautiful woman in the world, right? Uh, that becomes the point where it's crossed over and I become full of myself. Not a bad kind of pride. And what I encourage this lady, I said, well, let me ask you a question. You've asked me a question. Let me ask you a question. Um, have you ever read Philippians chapter two? I said to her. And, and, and she wasn't sure what I was talking about. She says, Philippian who? And, and, uh, and so obviously we had a, a lady who didn't know a whole lot about the Bible. And so I just began to, to quote part of Philippians chapter two to her. And, and I says, you know, in our relationship with one another, we are told that we're to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had. And he was in the very nature of God, and he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And I lovingly tried to explain to this lady when I'm talking about humility, I'm talking about being like Christ. You see, pride is the most deadly and the most evil of all sin because it's the root of all other sins. Pride was probably Satan's original sin when he said, I will make myself like the Most High. Jesus had a much different approach. He didn't say, look at how great I am, come follow me. He said, you're weak, I'm going to become weak, and he humbled himself. Matthew 11 says, Come unto me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Listen, God knew, Jesus knew that we could never become like him, so he became like us. And unfortunately, as I said just a minute ago, meekness rhymes with weakness, and that's too bad because they're not synonymous. Sometimes people say, well, uh, that meek person over there, they got a low self-esteem. You know, we, th we think of meekness as this uh, person who's got this inner turmoil, and they never get rest until, uh, you know, there's, there's things like this constantly in conflict for them, and, and the woe is me, and, and uh, you know, low esteem, self-esteem, I think is really a matter of pride. And we're thinking, well, nobody cares about me, so let me feel bad about myself and, and get some sympathy. You say, oh, you're not that bad, right? 
You're a champion there, right? And it could be that you are nothing more than filled with yourself. And uh, and so you got to get over yourself. You know, you feel lousy about yourself. And so you try to get people to affirm you. And then you think, well, that's going to make me feel better about myself. The only problem with that is people can never affirm you enough. That's not people's jobs. Our job is to encourage one another. But as far as dealing with your low self-esteem, I've discovered something that kind of blows my mind, and I still can't understand it totally. But sometimes the the most attractive people have the lowest self-esteem. And I'm looking at these people, and and uh, and especially when I was going up through high school and and into college, and and I look at these young ladies, and I say, boy, they are just just as pretty as can be, and yet they have a very low self image of themselves, and they would just give themselves over to any guy who paid them any attention. They were they were so starving and craving for attention that they would lower their morality uh, just to get their attention affirmed, and and it's like, man, that doesn't help. That made it worse. Listen, our identity comes from Christ. When we are more like Christ, we become not filled with pride, filled with humility. As we team up with Christ, we learn, first of all, humility starts with God. Uh, Number two, humility is surrendering everything to him. John 3.27 says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. And this is an amazing passage because this is talking about John the Baptist. And John is saying, I must decrease, he must increase. And he's, and John the Baptist was an amazing guy. I mean, he was the, the forerunner of Christ. I took a Nazarite vow. That means there was never a, a razor taken to his head. He never shaved. And, uh, and he had a wild diet of locusts and wild honey. And, uh, and he wore camel's hair. And he spent a lot of time out in the wilderness. And so the beginning of the life of John the Baptist was kind of a, a life of out there in the wilderness, an obscure life, a life of learning, uh, but a life away from people. And, uh, you know, uh, when you don't spend a whole lot of time with people, you get kind of weird. Okay. And so John the Baptist uh, is this outcast and he comes marching into the city and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is here. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent. And an amazing thing happens. People start listening to John the Baptist. He becomes immensely popular. I mean, it is unbelievable this guy could be uh, gathering a crowd the way he looked and the way he spoke, and they didn't pull any punches, right? And he told it like it was, and, and people began to repent, and people began to follow him. And John, on three occasions, had to tell him, listen, I'm not the Christ. And you keep asking, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? Are you? No, I'm not the Christ. He says, I can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You know, another guy in the Bible who was really a humble character. As a matter of fact, Numbers chapter 12 says that Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And we think about this matter of humility. It's surrendering everything over to God. So Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall... Now, we think the rest of that should be that they shall be comforted, right? Uh, now, Jesus says about that about those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He didn't say that about the meek. Uh, we would think that, blessed are the meek, for, for they shall be built up, right? Jesus doesn't even say that. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, Jesus puts it in a very special way. 
and it's not what we'd expect. We would expect him to say, they'll be fueled with pride. But, you know, pride is the bait that Satan used to tempt Eve. And he set aside what God had said and, and assured her that if she ate that forbidden fruit, she would be like God. You see, whenever I sin and whenever you sin, we are arrogantly asserting that we know better than God knows when it comes to what is best for us. We must constantly battle pride and grow in humility. And if you think that you've attained any measure of humility, you got to be on your guard against being prideful of your humility. Now, Moses is an amazing guy. And the reason uh, I think the Bible calls him the most humblest man is because he realized how weak he was. He realized that he didn't have a whole lot to offer, and he spent 40 years in the wilderness, okay? And as he's in this wilderness, he realizes just how insignificant he is. He's on the backside of the wilderness, tending to his father's sheep, uh, and he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. He was raised in the lap of luxury, best education, best opportunities, best culture, best food. I mean, he had everything going for him. But yet, one day he loses his temper. And he kills a guy, and word gets out, and, uh, and his brothers, the Israelite brothers, the uh, day after, were fighting with each other, and, and Moses intervenes, says, guys, your brothers don't fight with each other. And one of them says, now listen, you're going to do the same thing to me that you did to that Egyptian yesterday? At that moment, Moses knew, man, I, I, I'm in trouble. And so he flees out into the wilderness, and he spends 40 years as a refugee, realizing that he's a nobody. Somebody says, you can divide up the life of Moses into three categories. The first 40 years of his life, he thought he was a somebody. Man, there he is in Pharaoh's household. The second 40 years of his life, he's out in the wilderness realizing he's a nobody. At age 80, he has that burning bush experience. And from age 80 to 120, the last 40 years of his life, he's a blessing to everybody. Why? Because he finally learned uh, the art of humility. He said, wait a minute, how, how could he be humble when when he went before Pharaoh, and he demanded to let God's people go, that seems like that would take a little bit of uh, pride and, and, and a little bit of drive and, and a little bit of arrogance to do that. I mean, you're going up against the strongest person in the world, and you're going to be humble to do that? Oh, yeah, he was. You think about it. When you're a prideful person, you think you have something to offer. You know, when, when Moses went before Pharaoh, he didn't say, hey, let's make a deal. He said, you let my people go, I'll give you this. Now, he had nothing to offer. A humble person realizes they have nothing to offer. Everything that they receive has been given to them from heaven. And, and that's why Moses says, well, if I'm going to do this, who should I say has sent me? That burning bush, God speaking through that bush, says, tell Pharaoh, I am that I am has sent you. Now, Moses knew exactly what that meant, and so didn't Pharaoh. When Pharaoh heard Moses says, I'm coming to you in the name of God, the I am that I am, Pharaoh knew exactly what was going on. Moses is saying, I'm not coming to you on the power of mankind. I'm not coming to you upon a power of one of your idols that you are worshiping, one of the gods of Egypt. I'm coming to you in the great I am, the one who is above all gods. That's who I'm coming for. I'm speaking on, on his behalf. And he confronts Pharaoh. And finally, after 10 plagues, Pharaoh lets them go. Now, I want you to know something about life. You're going you're gonna to have three major battles 
that you're going to fight the rest of your life. These three major battles, okay? And they're listed in 1 John 2.16. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. There they are. Number one, the lust of the flesh. That is, I am wanting to be comforted in every part of my life. Well, I want to encourage you to join me tomorrow because we're going to dig a little deeper into these three battles that we all face, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, listen, I want to encourage you uh, that if you enjoy this broadcast, uh, why don't you consider uh, contributing to this broadcast. Now, this is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church, uh, but we certainly would welcome your contribution to this ministry. You can go on our church website. It's Hickory Ridge Community Church. Just Google it in, Hickory Ridge Community Church, Chesapeake, Virginia. It's hrcc 7org And when you go on our website, you can see the service times. You can see a little bit of, uh, about the history of our church and all the ministries of our church. And there's also a, a tab that you can click on to give. So you can give online, and we certainly would appreciate you supporting this ministry. We're so thankful that we have the opportunity to get the gospel out uh, through the airways, through podcasts, and through this radio broadcast. And uh, we certainly would appreciate any help that you could provide to support this ministry. I also want you to know that if you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.